Well, the director studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute, Isabel Fry, is on the line. Isabel, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy. And this is truly a really welcome conversation that we're having. Absolutely. So it's not quite what activists and lobbyists like yourself have been fighting for for many, many years. But I imagine you would see it as a step in the right direction. Absolutely. I think that what we have been saying in recent uh, months and, and especially after uh, the violence in the country two weeks ago is that we need to have an urgent humanitarian intervention followed by a longer term transformational policy intervention. So for us, we, we think that the, the fact that the government and the president were able to reflect on the absolute need of people to have relief now was welcome. I think that this affirms for me the rule of law in terms of the constitutional guarantees to everybody living in this country. Mm. So if you look at the um, 7.1 million caregivers, the women who look after the children of this nation, they will be eligible, which they weren't uh, in the previous iteration of social relief or distress grant. And of course, the 5.3 million people who were receiving it. So we're looking at um, just about 12 and a half, maybe 13 and a half million beneficiaries. And that was that that basically means that about 4.3 billion rand a month is going into the economy to stimulate uh, economic recovery, which is really important for us right now, as well as to meet people's basic needs. 350 is not a huge amount of money. In fact, it's, it's about two-thirds of the poverty line right now. But we believe that once people are registered on the system, that they have access to the kinds of information um, as well as the connectivity that comes with being part of the formal system, um, that the second phase can continue at that stage. Isabel, in as far as information is concerned, and this is where and how people have been affected by the impact of the lockdown, have been affected by unemployment and poverty in this country, those figures have fundamentally not changed. And yet we're now seeing governments suddenly respond to, um, to, to the calls that have been made. Talk to me about the president, because often in this country, there is a president that where there is use of violence, where there is use of some force, then government responds to a situation, whereas they've had ample opportunity to previously do that. Kathy, that's a very sharp uh, question. I think that our government should become a lot more... Um, flexible in terms of responding to calls before crises. You're completely right. Um, and it, it's a conversation that we had in previous weeks about why it is that people need to resort to the smoke that caused the, the kinds of disruptions and, and distraction before the voices are heard. And I can only say that this turnaround should, I think, herald um, the ability of the state to respond. I would imagine that there are certain certain levels and certain sort of degrees in which you don't want to be accused of being a populist state responding to every such call. But the amount of data, the research, the applications that people have made presenting these, uh, the, the kind of current situation to the state really would suggest that there has been a huge um, degree in which improvement could happen. So I think the media are really important. Um, both broadcast media, I think social media is important. What I've seen is that people are beginning to really articulate what these demands and desires are. I think people have become a lot more 
engaged with the national project. Mm. Um, and I think what happened two weeks ago shocked everybody to our core. Um, and so in the recovery, I hope that uh, we integrate into our policy feedback mechanisms, ways of being able to take on board what people are saying and mediate through uh, a policy situation. Because on the one hand, you need to have a responsive state, but you also need to have a state that is able to forward plan. And that's why for us, it's just so important to continue to engage with Department of Social Development and Cabinet to ensure that as the planning system continues for the rest of this administration, we can start looking at that scaling up of a basic income grant so that the, the kinds of flexibility that comes with certainty um, is provided for. Isabel, I'm going to ask you just to stay on the line for me. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. Remember, you can also be part of the conversation this morning. The number to use 011-714-2006. Your reaction then to the announcement of the uh, re-implementation or reinstatement of the social relief of distress grant uh, that many South Africans, millions of South Africans, you heard Isabel saying uh, over 12 million will now be able to access. It's 9.30, Luyanda Maume standing by with your latest headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We're in conversation with Isabel Fry. She's with the Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute talking about the reinstatement of this uh, social relief of disaster grant, part of the announcement made by the president last night. Uh, Isabel, I already have some skeptical listeners uh, who are saying, well, the president has announced March 22 as the potential uh, end date for this grant electioneering, local elections are still on the cards and on the agenda. Your view? Yes, I heard that. Um, People are entitled to take their views. I think personally that um, the the timing and the response was really in response to a call from civil society, which was to say rather than have three months at a time extension, Mm -hmm. can we not have certainty that this continues until the end of the fiscal year? And that is March 2022. So I think in this case, I would say um, I choose to look at the messaging and the timing as a positive one. Um, And I think that I also just wanted to say, Kathy, I mean, they... uh, Department of Social Development did a rapid response of the impact of social relief of distress. And that report has not yet been published. It hasn't yet been finalized. But having had sight of it, it is really interesting how targeted the the interaction was Mm. around humanitarian relief. So by far, the most of the the grant went straight to food. Now, we see that people's uh, access to food has been disrupted as a result of a lot of the violence in past weeks. It's useful to see that the state is trying to implement a seamless response because what they're saying is they're going to come in with food relief initially, that this continues so that people who were small traders, people who were providing food um, in townships and in rural areas are able to start buying inputs so that they can anticipate this. I really think that we need to see the kinds of interventions that this uh, relief brings in terms of supporting people's engagement in other economic activities, because that as well would be the best evidence that we can have for supporting a longer-term call for a Mm. universal basic income grant. 
Isabel, a lot of people will be worried about where the money to do this is coming from. Because if I remember correctly, much of the reasoning that organizations like yourself, even within the NetLAC platforms, were given for why this couldn't be done is that the state simply did not have money to do it. Um, that's correct. And so it was interesting that the president last night actually cited uh, where the money is coming from, and that's that the, the state managed to recover a lot more than more than they expected with SARS. I think, Kathy, that you'll, you'll be aware of the fact that many people such as Duma Kogule and Spy, myself, mm. and others are saying that we need to be very clear in our mind that there's a difference between using existing state funds and the kind of stimulus that's required that we're saying a, a basic income grant would come with. So the state has found additional monies available for this. They're not cutting any current programs, um, and that is useful for the social relief of distress. But if we are looking at the kind of multiplier impact that we've modeled, that we're saying is crucial for the recovery that we need for this country, we need to be looking at new sources of funding rather than cutting from the existing pie that we have. And so our call will continue to be looking at new ways of using monetary policy to release new money into the economy, uh, money that is currently tied up in non-productive ways. We know that we are in a recession. We think right now to extend a massive tax um, on income would be would not be have the desired effect. But there are ways we've looked at eleven ways of releasing new kinds of money. So um, and releasing some of the monies in the PIC, the, the government employees pension fund. None of this is critical. None of this uh, threatens any existing obligations. But if you have a blending um, of financing sources. We're able to, to, to ensure that there's more stimulus um, and more circulation because that's what we need. We need people to have access to more money so that on a daily basis we all aid to the recovery. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. This is undoubtedly a conversation that is going to continue. The next round, of course, we'll talk about where activists like yourself want to see it go versus where the economists <laughs> think it should not go, you know, especially when they try and add up those numbers. Isabel Fry, Director at the Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute. So um, there we have it then, the impact of this this grant has been unquestionable. Uh, I mean, if I can just talk about the experience here at SAFM.